welcome to the Signature Required Podcast. I am your host, Miss Brittany Renee, where we talk about entrepreneurship, your purpose, and everything in between. Today, we have a very, very, very dear guest that is very close to my heart, my brother-in-law, Lewis Leonard, former NFL uh, North Carolina Panther, graduate of Fresno State, go Bulldogs, here with us today. Welcome. Uh, Appreciate it, appreciate it. Happy to be here, happy to be here. I am so happy to have you, and I just want to say thank you so much for accepting the call to come on to the Signature Required Podcast. This is exciting. I know I always be talking to you about business, but it's here. It's finally here. Yeah, um, I was excited when I got the call, but you know, I've been kind of dealing with a few things, so it wasn't easy to accept. You know what I mean? But um, I appreciate what you're doing. Um, I respect what you're doing. And uh, I'm just happy to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we are going to jump right into it. Um, Today, we will be talking about surviving the foster care system and beating the odds. And (laughs) so, um, you know, talking and walking in my purpose and really just making sure that I'm in alignment with my purpose Um, I found that talking to young individuals who are underserved is something that I'm very, very passionate about. And so um, when I was thinking about the topic, and I've had um, some other guests that has talked about, you know, the system and different things, I thought that there was nobody better than you to come and share your story. And I know the purpose that's on your life and um, how inspirational you are to me and when you just share some of your story and you know different things and so um, I really know that you will inspire a lot of people with your mm-hmm. testimony and with your story so we will just hop right on in it right on. Um, give us a little bit of background where you're from um, your upbringing you know anything that you want to share all that good stuff oh wow well let's 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 start from the beginning. Well, um, I'm from Los Angeles. Actually, a little small city in Los Angeles, which is called Watts. Okay. Um, I was born and raised at the Nixon Garden Projects. Well, at least I was born. Uh, graduated, well, let me just say this. I graduated from Vermont Day, which is a college preparatory high school okay. um, in Watts. Okay. Um, it happened to be connected to my projects, but I was the only one from my projects or from the city that I ever went to that school at that time. Okay. Um, so I graduated from there. I was fortunate enough to get a, a full ride scholarship to Fresno State, mm-hmm. you know, where some wonderful things happen. You know, I met your sister. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, I was able to join the world's greatest fraternity, Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated. Okay. Um, Root to the Qs. Uh, from there, um, I was fortunate enough to join the NFL mm-hmm. and um, started off with the Chargers. I played with a few teams, but I retired with the Carolina Panthers. Um, and, you know, through college, I was able to have two wonderful kids, mm-hmm. Landon and Layden, who I'm about ready to put out. But, you know, <laughs> if I put them out, I'm going to have to go with them. But <laughs> just joking. But uh, a lovely wife, my wife, uh, Lacey Leonard. Mm-hmm. Um, who is second to none and what she do and how she do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just uh, grateful and thankful to have her uh, as my wife. Yeah, after that, you know, uh, retired from the NFL, and uh, now we reside here in Chandler, okay. Arizona. Okay. So, okay. yeah. Nice. Well, let's go back 
right, okay. to your childhood and your upbringing. Um, tell us a little bit about that transition from, because obviously you weren't born into the foster care system, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and it is as much as you want to share, right? right but um, just tell us a little bit about what that transition looked like for you going into the foster care system. Oh, man, it was tough. I'm going to tell you this. Um, I didn't have the best support system, um, and I know the word support system now, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I didn't have the best family structure when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up, the family was from the hood, grew up in the hood, um, from Watts to Compton. I went into the foster care system when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. 12 years old. Um, Some things happened with my family, Mm -hmm. and I was, of course, well, let me say this. Um, I was living with my auntie. Okay. Um, My dad and my mom, well, my dad had went to jail. He spent 15 years in prison. Okay. Um, So he's out now. But I was taken away from my mom once my dad went to jail and uh, was raised with my grandma. Okay. So I was raised, grandma died, then stayed with my auntie, and around 11, we didn't see eye to eye on some things, and I wanted to go with my actual mom oh, okay. and that side of the family once I really started to know them. Okay. Uh, so I actually ran away, to be honest. Wanted to be with the other side of my family. Um, lo and behold, uh, I ran away, wasn't able to live with my mom. So I was actually about to go into the foster care system, and my sister, who was probably at the age of 18 at the time, okay. so I'm probably like, yeah, I'm 12 probably going on 13. Okay. Um, actually, I was 12. But she decided to take me in. Wow. Um, now that I look back at that, I'm like, wow, you know, your sister taking in, you know, I was, just to let you know, I was six three, six three and a half when I graduated junior high. Oh, wow. And I wasn't a skinny guy. I was big. So, you know, um, yeah. for her to do that was, was, was a blessing in itself. Yeah. But now, when you take it, being raised in... A certain environment you kind of you susceptible to your environment you mm-hmm. do things that have this going on in your environment so I gang banged um, I was a gangster sold drugs things of that sort just did what I knew everybody else was doing mm-hmm. her being 18 and dealing with me this big massive 12 year old mm-hmm. and I was kind of getting in trouble and I guess the Child Protective Services kind of like, uh, this kid ain't coming to school. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on? You know, are you able to take care of him? And she didn't want to let me go into foster care. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, just go in for six months and we'll let you out and things of that mm-hmm. sort. So she she allowed it. Mm-hmm. And that was my first introduction to foster care was when I was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to tell you this. Once I got into foster care... Take it, I'm six, three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go into foster care, you don't, let me see what else that. So when I, when you go into foster care and they get ready to place you, mm-hmm. they don't give the person who you've been placed with the demographics. Oh. Right? So they don't say you about to get this six, three and a half giant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Coming yeah. into your house. Yeah. So I actually went to six foster homes and group homes oh. within like a six month period. Um, so I have people doing things like this, like they'll tell me, oh, that get me and you'll see kind of like, oh my gosh. But, oh. you know, it'll be to where they'll be like, uh, Lewis, uh, get your bag. Your worker want to, 
uh, talk with you. And I'm thinking, like, you know, I just talk to my worker. Yeah. You know, and they get my bags and they take me to the office and be like, yeah, just go up to talk to your worker. And I get up in the, I walk up in the building and my worker be like, Louis, what you doing here? And I'm like, well, they told me I had a meeting. And she'd be like, all right, come on. And this happened time and time again. Wow. You know, so I they had, really was like putting you back in the system to yeah. go somewhere else, but without telling you. Right. And then your worker just read between the lines yeah. and was like, okay, we got to place them somewhere else. Yeah. And wow. I and I started to understand it after it happened at least three times. Yeah. Um, but you had people lying. Like one lady I remember, um, I got placed with her and... and she was she had my worker had told me that she said I would stand up in her door at night mm-hmm. and just look at her and she was and she was afraid of me mm. and but when I got into the placement she had twins and those two little boys that wore Wrangler jeans and she tried to go to the store to buy me to Walmart or somewhere to buy me Wrangler jeans and they didn't fit <laughs> right <laughs> so so I know she wasn't expecting what she had got. Now that I'm looking back on it, yeah, you know what I mean. And just didn't know how to say that, right? Or, and the sad thing is that they also don't even get enough to take care of the ones that they do get mm-hmm. in. So in her head, she probably was thinking like, "I really can't afford to take care of this." Yeah, and kid. you got and, and 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 I have to take it to the point too, like. Although I was big, you know, I still felt like I was a game member. Mm-hmm. You know, I was still. Now I wasn't. Yeah, I was. I was. <laughs> yeah, I was doing. Like it wasn't to the point that like I was disruptive in these group homes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I wore red. I was a blood, mm-hmm. um, and did those type of things. But I mean, when it comes to like just my respect level, mm-hmm. I always kind of had that growing up, mm-hmm. and that's still what I have right now today. Mm-hmm. And I think, really, when I think about it, I think that's something God put on me, mm-hmm. because although I did what I did, and, and I was in the environment that I was in, um, you know, I always kept a respect level to elders and mm-hmm. things of that sort. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of that was the beginning part of it. Um, but uh, I spent, I think I was, uh, I got a well. I entered college out of group homes. Okay. So I went through six. One of the ones I was going through, I actually ran away from that. I ran away from a few of them, too, because also when you go into group homes and foster homes, you don't get to choose the area. Oh. So you've been a gangbanger, you going into an area that might not be your area, uh-huh. you know what I mean? And that's something else you got to deal with. Right. Um, oh, so some wow. places I would just run away from because I'm like, I can't be over here. In this area. And they'll try to take me to certain schools. And I'll be like, I can't go to the school. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, um, wow. and, so let's tap yeah. on that a little bit, right? So because different communities in different cities and different states all have different codes, right? Mm. And so you just really um, tapped into something that I really want to talk about because you get kids that are in foster care that are in gangs, right? And the foster care system, they don't really take that into consideration. And so when they start seeing kids running away or they start seeing kids fighting, they don't take into consideration that they their past is still somewhat following them or their lifestyle is following them and like you said you would get put in a placement where you may be with a rival in a rival gang territory how how did that even make you feel in that 
instance of like, did you feel like your life was going to be taken away? Because we're talking about Los Angeles, yes. where gangs are at an all time high, where gangs actually originated from, yes. right? Yes. So it's a lot different than I'm sure a gang in Arizona. Mm-hmm. You know, can you kind of talk about that? Well, yeah, um, it was tough. It was mm-hmm. tough. It really was. And it's crazy how ironic this situation comes when we talk about this because, you know, I I look back on my life and I just be like, there's no other way I could have got here without the blessing of God himself yeah. uh, instilling some of the things that he have in me. Yeah. So let's just talk about one scenario. I had been placed, one of the placements was in you know, South Central. Mm -hmm. And the school was locked. So I went to this, they tried to enroll me to school. I'm like, I can't go there. So we went there and they had me walk through at lunchtime and you had people saying this, that, and that and kind of knew who I was. Yeah. So this is a time to where I'm starting to play football now. Mm. You know what I mean? So I'm involved in sports. Mm -hmm. So I'll go and I'll meet with the coach and he's like, yeah, man, you know, Everything's going to be all right. I know this is a different area for you, but we got some really good guys on the football team, and they'll help you, and this and that. Mm -hmm. That's one situation, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't go to that school. Mm -hmm. When I left and went back to the place where I ran away that night, (laughs) right? Because I know that that area is a no-go. You already knew what it was So let's just fast forward a little bit here. Okay. When I show up at college, uh-huh. where I was, where I, at Fresno State, mm-hmm. I met two dudes. Mm-hmm. Them two dudes is Richard Marshall and Dwayne Andrews. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they from the other side. Mm-hmm. Locke was the school that I was about to go to. Mm. They told me, man, we remember when they told us that the big dude that posed been a blood was coming to our school. Wow. We was going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> so so wow. this is what I learned. This is what I learned when I get to college. Wow. Right? They I mean? was already plotting on you. Right. And we didn't know each other yeah. back then or anything. Yeah. But we just put two and two together. Right. And it was like, man, I, we remember the coach telling us that he wanted us to look after somebody and that he was from the other side and things of that sort. Wow. But it wasn't no it was, Nipsey Hussle was, on YG going uh, nah, on then. No, no, no. So, so that right there, and 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 why I say like some wow. of the things that I've done in my life has been like not really my doing, um, mm-hmm. and things have came into place, mm-hmm. you know, um, so much, and and I'm just thankful for it. But that's one situation. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna leave that there. Mm-hmm. But just to kind of recap on it, it's very tough. Yeah. And I don't think people, I don't think the placements really understand that. Mm-hmm. And I think there should be some type of uh, modality or some type of uh, like systems policy, in place, or, policy. Yeah, a system mm-hmm. uh, in place for that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to understand that, Absolutely. you know. Um, and I think you'll be able to, to connect with a lot more kids that way because then you know how to protect them. Absolutely. And you understand where they're coming from. Sometimes they don't ask and you don't say and you just do what you do. Yeah. So, yeah. For sure. How was your transition into sports, like with football and being in the system? You know, how did that work for you? Did you just kind of say, you know what, I'm going to get to practice. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Because from what I see, one, the 
foster and group homes, or I, I would say the group homes rather, are very understaffed. Oh, yeah. So how were you able to, like, get back and forth to practice or, you know, were there any type of, like, conflict Let me Let me say this. So let me just tell you how I got introduced to football mm-hmm. real quick. I, I couldn't play football when I was younger okay. because I was always overweight. It wasn't that I was big, but I was tall. Okay. So I couldn't play Pop Warner and anything of that sort. So I played basketball. And I played basketball in my neighborhood, and we went to other neighborhoods and played. And when this is me younger, mm-hmm. but in my neighborhood, uh, well, in Watts or in LA, there was a time I forget what year it was, but they was trying to have a a thing to where the gangs come together, mm-hmm. right, and stop the violence. So what they would do is they have different gangs come to different hoods, and they have football games. Okay. And if you can bring a crip hood, crip hood to your hood and your blood hood and y'all can have a football game or you do whatever, uh-huh. then that's kind of, you know, stopping the violence, things of that sort. Right. So I, one day I walked on the gym field because we was all, we was playing against Long Beach, I believe, uh forget what hood it was, but a hood in Long Beach. And I went out there and I was at defense again. And I think I probably had about four sacks. Wow. And that's the first time that I really played any organized football. Oh, okay. You know, I went to practice as Pop Warner, but I had stopped playing because I was, I, I'm out there with the trash bag on every day running, <laughs> go to weigh in up with my drawers on. I'm like, man, and every week, up too heavy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, man, we can't oh, do this. Wow. Nah, this ain't going to work. Oh, wow. But uh, but that's really how I really got into football okay. is in my neighborhood. And by me doing that, one of the guys that was from my neighborhood was like a recruit for – he, he kind of worked with the coach at the private school mm-hmm. that was connected to our, our project. It's, it was just connected. So he seen me, and he was like, man, what you doing? Like, what's going on? And – and he was like, man, we need to get you on the squad. We need to get you playing football. Mm-hmm. I want you to go Vermin Day. I'm like, man, I'm not going to Vermin Day. Man, this is that's an all-boys school. Oh, like, you know, we okay. go over there and jump the wall and take lunch money and all that. Type of stuff. I'm not about to go over there with them dorks. <laughs> this is what I'm thinking, right? Yeah. So, uh, lo and behold, foster home, well, no, uh, group home I was in, mm-hmm. the guy who was in charge of that group home kind of took a liking to me. Mm. Um and and he kind of supported me through some things of trying to help me to transition, mm-hmm. showing me some different things. Mm-hmm. And although it was tough, you know, um, I kind of took what he was saying and kind of I kind of trusted him. But he made some decisions that I didn't have a say so in. Mm-hmm. And some of those decisions was when my dude who was from my hood called Big Al, when he found out the guy who I was in the placement with, he started talking to that guy. Oh, okay. And he like, man, we need to get him over to Verb. And I'm like, I'm not going to Verb. At the time, I'm going to Long Beach Poly. Oh. You know, that's school of champions, all athletes. Right. And it's heavy game bagging and all that, too. And, oh. and it's a crip school. Oh. But at this time, shit, I'm Big Lou. Like, I'm going wherever I want to go. <laughs> so you just made so it nice So right. I'm like, it is what it is because right. I'm kind of known. Right. You know, so... uh so I was going there and, and really wasn't doing good. Um, I'd get A's and B's during the school year and when the, I mean, during the football season, when the football season over, you're getting A, I mean, F and D's. Wow. 
you know, and it was that type of system. Yeah. He got with the guy, which is Charles Matlock, who was in charge of the group home, mm -hmm. talked with him. They then took me to the school to visit and all this, and I was like, I'm not going here. Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing about it is why I didn't want to go mm -hmm. is because it was a college preparatory high school. Mm -hmm. Now, you're talking about somebody who your parents ain't looking for, well, you ain't with your parents. And the people you're with, they ain't really concerned about your grades mm. because they didn't probably graduate high school, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and things of that sort. So I'm really kind of scared. Like, I would not be able to succeed at this mm. school. So you were thinking more from a grade perspective yeah. that you wouldn't be able to. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. But that was my main focus. Really, yeah. the grades. Like, man, I, I can't. What am I doing? I'm barely passing classes at regular <laughs> public school, right. Centennial. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. So, so how I'm gonna go over here and do this? Wow. Um, and Centennial was the first high school I went to. Just to let you know, I went to seven different high schools. So that lets you know how many placements I had to go through and things that wow. I saw. So I went to seven different high schools. Wow. And I went to Vermin Day for two years. Okay. So that's seven different high, uh, and six two, different high and schools. Two years. Yeah, and wow. that came from when I was in group home, kind of going from placement to placement and things yeah. that I saw. Wow. Um, and you definitely beat the odds to be yeah, able to go get yeah. a full and we're going to talk about that beating the odds too. Wow, we're going to talk about that beating the odds. But uh, let me just tell you how I got to Vermont Day. <laughs> I'm going to Long Beach Poly, uh -huh. and one morning, the new year, after they've been talking and all this, and I'm like, I'm not going, and they ain't left it at that. Mm -hmm. So the new school year start, and I get dressed, and I'm about to go catch the bus to Long Beach Poly. And the owner of the group home pulls up early morning. Uh -huh. I'm like, man, what are you doing here this early, right? Yeah. And he got bags, and he come in the house, and I'm like, what's going on? He's like, uh, man, I came to bring you a uniform. I'm like, what you mean? <laughs> He's like, oh, I got your uniforms. You going to every day? I'm like, what you mean I'm going to every day? He's like, yeah, you, you got to get dressed. Your coach coming to pick you up. And that's how I got into wow. Vermin Day. My coach came to pick me up that day and took me and and I was there. It took me a year to transition. You know, it took me a year to transition. So let's talk about that. What was, was it just the level of respect that you had for the owner of the group home for you to say, okay, because a lot of the times what I've seen with working with kids, you know, in that sector, there's a lot of pushback, mm -hmm. right? So you can put a kid in an environment and they'll run away or they're not going to be present or they're not going to do anything. And it's like, I don't want to be here. That's that. So what was it? Was it the level of respect that you had because he had a level of respect for you? Or was it just, you know... <laughs> I'm getting chills, but <laughs> because I, I I have to respect, you know, the transition that my life and took, um, and I might get a little teary out because it's good. real, yeah, right? It is very real. But I ran away from his group home too, mm. and he's the only one that came looking for me mm. and told me that he cared about mm. me. He cared about you know helping me out. Mm -hmm. And I was the first person to ever do that wow. in a group home. Wow. And when I went back to the group home is when I took, I made a total transition mm -hmm. into like, I need to be doing something different or I might need to listen to this man because he gave me something that I didn't even have when I was a kid with my own family. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, 
so so that's what that was um and that's how i kind of respected what he had for me yeah um i didn't run away no more mm. i i actually kind of started helping some of the guys out that was in the group home because before wow. they was fighting and doing all type of things and things of that sort yeah. and once he showed me that and showed me that he cared showed me that he was willing to support me um that's that's when i took it i'm like you know i need to kind of listen to what this man say absolutely um so when he made that transition believe me he talked to me about it mm -hmm. right and he told me all the things you're gonna be good and this and that and i'm like man no <laughs> Right. <laughs> no. Right. But uh, it happened. It took me a year to transition at the school. Wow. Um, but and and but after that year, I'm gonna tell you this: my senior year, science became one of my uh, best subjects, okay. math and science. Okay. Wow. So I made it to the advanced math, uh, the advanced science class, where it was only four of us, wow. and we went and competed against all the other private schools to build cars and race cars and things of that sort. Wow. And and I did that. Um, I graduated with a 3.7. Wow. Um, I scored the highest in the region on the ACT. Um, so, and then I had, not only I had athletic scholarships, I had academic scholarships. I probably had academic, I had academic scholarship to Fresno State. Wow. And I probably had... I'm not gonna say every, but at least a, like a good number of schools that was recruiting me for football, uh -huh. I had an academic scholarship to that school. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so so I had an academic scholarship because of, of that. And, and by me scoring a highs in the region, by me being a product of Watts and the Nickerson Gardens and going to Vermin Day, and then becoming this big time athlete, mm -hmm. you know, that's being recruited and things of that sort, and when I think it was ABC at the time found out about my story mm -hmm. and they came to Verb and they was like, hey, and my coach was like, Lewis, you got ABC, want to do a story on you. Wow. And the name of the story was Beanie Nods. So. And I, did, I had no idea. <laughs> so the name of the story was, wow. uh, was Beating the Odds. Wow. And they came and they did a, a whole write-up on me and uh, news and uh, article deal. But, yeah, it was called Beating the Odds. And when I went to college and was able to go into the league, I named my foundation after my sister, mm -hmm. who had passed away when I was – she was 14, I was 13. Oh. Um, a tragic accident. But uh, I named my foundation Beating the Odds through Maisha, and mm -hmm. that was her name. Mm -hmm. So when we wrap wow. this thing around and won't he do it, <laughs> yes. we here talking about Beating the Odds. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and like you said, won't he do it. <laughs> yes. That's an amazing testimony. Um, and one thing that was just super profound about, you know, when we kind of tapped into what was that pivotal moment for you to just say, you know what, I'm a – listen and I'm gonna go to school you know and and um I know that that was dear to your heart mm. but can we talk about how important it is for someone in the system to have support right because that one person really helped change your life and not only that formed you into your path of success and where you are now, mm -hmm. right? And so I think you sharing um, that piece, 
will be very beneficial to someone that may feel like a kid isn't listening mm -hmm. or may feel like, you know what, I'm going to give up on this kid because they're not listening. You said you was done. Like, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not mm -hmm. going. And he still came and showed up with your yeah. uniforms and still did what he needed to do on the back end that you didn't even know he was doing mm -hmm. clearly to put you into the school. So I think you just sharing that little piece of like not to give up on someone because of, you know, them not being able to see right. beyond their circumstance at that point. Exactly. Exactly. Let me just say this. Um, that transition, that movement, and to that he made mm -hmm. for me, mm -hmm. uh, I believe right now today saved my life mm -hmm. because where I was at and what I was doing and what I thought I wanted to do was nowhere near um, what it is that I am today. Mm -hmm. And it took those movements, it took those decisions um, to really get me to where I'm, to get me the opportunity to get to where I am today. Mm -hmm. um, it's important. It's important to support these kids. Mm -hmm. It's important to meet these kids where they're at. Mm -hmm. It's important to love on them. Mm -hmm. um, because not saying that my family didn't love me, but they loved me the way that they knew to love me. Absolutely. And I was raised with all women. Mm -hmm. And when I say all women, I, I'm not joking, like all women. Mm -hmm. um, I had an uncle who came around every so often, but... You have been around my family, mm -hmm. and you see a lot of women. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. so, and that was that was a situation in itself yeah. before all that. But um, it also helped to mold me to who I am today. Mm -hmm. But you just you just have to, you know, when you get into it, you have to realize you're dealing with human beings. Yeah. You have to realize you're dealing with people who who don't understand themselves, mm -hmm. and you have to. You know, bridge, build that bridge to allow them to know that it's safer going this way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You don't have to go under the bridge where it's going to be troubled waters and mm -hmm. things of that sort. Um, so, so that's what it was. You know, I mean, that's what it is. You know, you have to kind of meet them where they at and mm -hmm. support them and love on them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of where that's that's where it took place for me. I like that. Um, did you think about having children growing up in, in the system or was that kind of deterrence for you? You know, when you were in the system, did you kind of have those thoughts of like, I want to be a dad one day or I don't want to be a dad? You know, what was that like for you? Uh, no, no, I, I, no, I, I had no intentions on being a father. Mm -hmm. um, uh, no intentions. Um, not that I was like, oh, I don't want kids. It just never really cr crossed my mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you deal with what you deal with and you think you have them thoughts of, of really you don't even have them because of some of the things you've been through. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you don't know how to love or how to treat somebody. And it's kind of like, I don't want somebody to grow up like I grew up. Mm -hmm. You know, so so to answer the question simply is no, I didn't. Um, I didn't. I, I I thank God that I'm one now. You know what I mean. And that's the thing. Like, it was a transition for me through the system, um, and it was a lot of 
turns and dips and valleys and all type of stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, being a father now, uh, you know, I'm able to instill and 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 mold and love and and be a little aggressive too to mine, mm -hmm. you know. But to help them to understand, you know, what they have and 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 what it could be if they didn't have this, you mm -hmm. know. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, if to answer the question. Mm -hmm. So, let's talk about your transition from the system into college and how was that for you, right? So, a kid that may be in foster care or in a group home may feel like, I don't even know what life will be like in college, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe a little scared because they don't have the support from a family you know, standpoint going into college. So how was that transition for you going into college? Obviously you started dating Lacey, you know, mm -hmm. in college and you met our family and you know, the rest was history. Right. Oh. But um, for a kid going into foster care, going from foster care or group home into college, what was that transition um, like for you? For me, a tough transition. Um, I had never thought about going to college. Mr. Matlock and, and and a couple of other people kind of helped to instill that in me, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I'm going to just say this, and I'm going to go back a little bit. I know we're moving forward, but when I was in high school, right, I got academic scholarships. I got full ride scholarships. I scored the highest on the ACT. Um, and come to find out, I went to seven high schools, or six high schools, plus Vermont Day. When it comes time to build my transcripts, mm -hmm. they see where in a 10th grade, I didn't do a whole semester of 10th grade, and I failed the first semester. So now I got all these scholarships and all these academic scholarships, yeah. and I don't have, I'm missing some, like they was able to piece it together, but I'm missing some things, uh -huh. right? And they like, he can't go to college. And Malak, along with his uh, friend at the time called Miss Pat, mm -hmm. was like, he's going to college. Mm. He was so like, no, he's going to have to go to JC. And they like, no, he's going to college. Wow. And what I had to do was, it was a school across the street from Vermont Day called Maxine Waters. Mm. And I had to go there and I had to take classes over the summer in order to meet the qualifications to even be able to graduate. Mm. And I had to take, I know I had to take one math class and one, and you had to take them, you couldn't take them uh, together because one taught you the other. Mm. So because I went to Vermin Day, they wish they was against it, but they was like, well, he's at a private school, let him take both of them. Lo and behold, I was able to pass both of them that summer. And, and, you know, they fought on my behalf, and that's how I was able to come and, uh, I mean, actually graduate and get accepted into a university, and that's what I chose. And I chose Fresno State because of I was recruited by UCLA, USC, and it was like, man, you don't want to go to school too close because you, mm. you know, you got your neighborhood, and, you know, you don't want to be involved in that. And Fresno was doing good at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and you know they was recruiting me pretty pretty hard mm -hmm. and so uh we made that decision and this is the crazy thing about this and, and this is just 
changing a vicious cycle, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's what I kind of live on now is is that phrase of changing a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. We took a four, uh, what's the not the uh, um, the small car back focus. Oh. We took a four focus to Fresno. The first time I seen a live cow, like a c- actual living cow. You know, y'all yeah. got a lot of cows up there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was the first time I was actually I had ever left Los Angeles. Wow. Um, Your whole yeah, entire life. Oh, my whole entire life. Wow. And um and uh, I seen a live cow for the first time, and that right there, being able to see that cow was like a transition for me also, mm. and that's why even with my foundation. Uh, being the eyes through Maisha, um, I would take kids from Los Angeles mm-hmm. and then take them to Sacramento mm-hmm. and do a football camp, or mm-hmm. take or take them to Fresno. Take them out there, you know, right? Mm-hmm. And that's helping to change that vicious cycle mm-hmm. because not until you able to get out of it, mm-hmm. are you able to understand people that's out of that mm-hmm. vicious cycle that you're in mm-hmm. or you're born in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no change, mm-hmm. you know? So so that was my time where I was like, wow, there's a cow. What is your relationship like with uh, Charles Matlock now? We're not in touch right now. Okay. And we had lost we had lost contact. He had some issues going on with a few things that he was dealing with. Okay. And he's actually from Tennessee. Yeah, he had was dealing with some issues and, and you know, changing phones and things of that sort. Mm. Um, I've looked for him and things like that, mm. but haven't had no luck. Mm. But yeah, so that's kind of what that is now. Okay. Um, what was your transition like from the from college and then into the NFL? Do you have any thing you would want to share or tell um, a young man or a young woman who is in the system now that has dreams and aspirations of becoming? you know, a professional athlete or someone that is successful, what's something that you can share um, with them? Well, although it's hard to trust, we got to trust somebody. Mm-hmm. And what I kind of tell people that has grown, like, and I would tell the same thing to a, to a young person. Like, you, if you haven't been through a whole lot of trauma, mm-hmm. you start to know what trauma looks like. Mm-hmm. So when you start to see something that don't look like trauma, then that might be the way you want to go, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so when you find people that you like, this is different than what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Trust in that. Mm-hmm. Trust in that. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing to do is to trust people. And you don't know who's real, who's fake, because you haven't been through so many things. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand how I felt. I went to seven, six group homes within six months. You know what I mean? I dealt with issues with my family, so my trust issue was way up there. Mm-hmm. But not until that situation happened to where I was like, okay, I got to I gotta trust. I got to give back to what's being given to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, learn to, although it might be tough, learn to trust people that's telling you the right thing, that you get that feeling inside, like, you know what, they really trying to help me. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm being combative and I'm like, you know, I just want to show my toughness or what I've been through. Mm-hmm. Trust in them, you know, continue to to thrive, to do what it is that you want to do mm-hmm. because it's possible. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter about, you know, what school or what grades or anything. But if you have a passion that burns deep, mm-hmm. keep on going after it. Keep That's on good. going after it. That's good. 
Well, this is a Signature Required podcast, and we cannot let you leave without telling us, what is your purpose in life? Wow, my purpose in life. <laughs> my purpose in life is to give back. And when I say give back, it's, it's, it's several different ways. And that can be financially. Um, it can be with, with advice. Mm-hmm. It can be with mentoring. Um, it could be with just having an interview like this and being able to reach whoever it might reach. And I have been told and know that, you know, a hundred people can look at this. And if, it's a, if it affects one person, then then we got something mm-hmm. and we did our part. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is for me. That's what it is for me. God has blessed me. Um, he has done some wonderful things in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And... He has helped me to understand what it is that I'm here for, Mm -hmm. you know, and that is to give back. And I want to do it more, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I think we need to connect more um, on putting some things together also because the the energy and, and... and how this all happened is not by mistake. No. Um, so it's an excellent question to ask a person what is their purpose because it helps them to realign mm-hmm. with whatever it is that, that their purpose is. Right. Because I probably wasn't living in my purpose before I got in here. Mm-hmm. But just asking that question allows you to be like, what is my purpose? And if that's my purpose, why I'm not doing it today? Mm-hmm. So... Good, good, good. Well, tell people how they can connect with you, how they can find you. You know, if they, um, you're a great speaker. Um, I think that we need more of you in the community, you know, to encourage these kids and to um, just really inspire them to, to keep going. And there's more to life. And although, you know, you may come from this type of environment, that doesn't have to be your future that doesn't have to be the end right and so um tell people how they can connect with you if you have like social media or um i know that you guys your wife has a um a mental health clinic yes 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 so so i'm not a big social media guy (laughs) um but my instagram is lewis leonard 94 94 is the number i wore in in the nfl uh with the carolina panthers also uh, the business is um, Tackle Health, and that's another story in itself. Tackle Health is based in Tempe, Arizona. TackleHealth.org. You can go there and find out more information about me and about what we're doing in the community and the lives we're trying to change. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, I think that's it. You know, but you can find me on one of those platforms. Absolutely, so, yeah. and we'll make sure that we put all of your information, you know, on there so people will be able to contact you. Um, this is going to wrap our story up. Mm. And again, I really just want to say thank you for having and for coming and for answering the call to be a guest here on a Signature Required podcast. Um, this is amazing. I'm just excited for individuals to hear this. I right know on. that um, you are going to help so many people. And so before I wrap it up, I just want to give you your flowers and say thank you. I'm inspired. Um, and I've learned more about you in this <laughs> setting. You know, right you're up. always learning more about yes. one another. So yes. um, I just want to commend you and give you your flowers and to tell you to keep walking in your purpose. Right on, right on. Well, I appreciate you having me. 
It is an honor to be here. I appreciate what you're doing um, as a woman, as an advocate, the platform you're trying to um, create mm -hmm. to have people live in a purpose Absolutely. because that's very important. Mm -hmm. um, but just thank you. I'm honored yeah. and I appreciate it. Good, good. Well, I am your host, Miss Brittany Renee, and this is our time here on the Signature Required podcast. You can check out merch at signaturerequired.com. If you're looking for a personal development coach, I can be reached at brittanyrenee.com, my Instagram, brittanyrenee247, and we will see you back here on the Signature Required podcast. Peace.